listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. The Cleveland Browns and the complexity, the more I think about it, the more I see it to be a big deal, a bigger deal than I thought yesterday with the COVID, with the coach. So I think we start there. Yeah, and the uh, Cleveland Browns, no new positive tests reported back on Wednesday. So the Browns gearing up without their head coach and their Pro Bowl guard to go on the road and take on the Steelers this Sunday night. Okay, my first thought yesterday was a line move from Pittsburgh favored by four to Pittsburgh favored by six. That would be too much. And that coaches, there's a name recognition, there's a sense of how do we do it without the coach, but maybe it's not as important. I thought Jonas, upon reflection, had the key point that kind of got lost in the mix yesterday, which was the idea that this is the play caller. This is, this is the head coach, yes, but in an era of a lot of CEO-type supervisors as coach, we're talking about the guy calling the plays on game day, or in this case, not. And though players are often hurt, Big Ben, he's hurt sometimes. Quarterback XYZ, for the most part, typically, you get used to that. Oh, the receiver's out. You get, when is the head coach out? When is the play caller out? I can't remember. You know, obviously, COVID has changed the rules in a way with this, changed the reality. But what is the history here? What is the like, hey, we can do it like we did back in 2017? No. So, not only had coach gone, play caller gone, but you've got a situation where not only haven't the Browns faced this, but who has? Mm -hmm. I think it's a bigger deal than I thought. And then you add in, the idea of the facility being shut down, of players being out, including a key lineman, maybe two points, especially through four through six, which are not particularly key numbers. Four and a half to five to five and a half to six. It's two points, but it's not, it's about the least valuable two points you can get. Fez, what's your overall thoughts? Yeah, Baker Mayfield. Is he a guy that I want to bet on when I've got all kind of um, changes going on around me? So here's a quarterback that when he's not pressured, he's been very good. Under pressure, he has struggled mightily. And now all of a sudden, uh, all the play calling has changed. You've got um, the routine of the week change. And here comes his biggest game of his career, his first playoff game. Not a quarterback I want to back here. So, are you connecting pressure from defensive linemen to pressure as in, hey, the stakes are high? Yes, I am. <laughs> now, make the case. Uh, I mean, so you're saying the kind of person that's going to get frazzled because there's a big D lineman coming at him is the kind of person that's going to get frazzled because of any disruption? I believe so, yes. Wow. That's Steve Fezzik. I'm RJ Bell. Jonas, how has it sat with you? I just I take more from what I saw last Sunday than I do from them not having Stefanski in their guard. And obviously, I think not having a Batonio is a bigger deal than having Stefanski in my mind. But I just I came away from Sunday being really, really concerned about the Cleveland Browns because I would argue that Baker Mayfield got outplayed by Mason Rudolph in that game, and they were fortunate to win that game. So that to me is stuck in my mind more so than the COVID test, a positive COVID test for them this week. Well, here's the question. Let's assume you're right about Baker's level performance, and I think generally you are. 
it's one game. So, is there anything about the one game other than it being the most recent game? So, if any one game is going to mean more, it's the most recent one. But in the scheme of the season, the one game is a smallish thing. Typically, is there a reason you would think the one game would be so much more important to Baker and the Browns specifically last week? Yeah, because the Steelers were resting starters. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't in the game. So it's the, the it's the matchup. Yeah, just I just looked at it and I and I thought, well, that didn't seem all that hot. Like that, I, I came away from that just not being impressed at all with Cleveland and and more concerned moving into the next week against Pittsburgh than anything. So. Any Browns lineman, this lineman, a half a point? I mean, that, that seems like the max. Yeah. If you, were ju- if you were just looking at the lineman. Just looking at linemen, yeah, I would say a half a point. I mean, he's the guard. I mean, important, but I don't know that it's a, a make or break to the game. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, is there any lineman worth more than a half point, Fez? I mean,. Maybe, but no. I think you're stretching. And Cleveland has three really good O linemen: Teller, Conklin, and Betonio. So you know, it's already, it, yeah. He went, he's going to the. He was so going the to the theory pro- is it's the opposite of cluster injuries, which is you can compensate for something. Though it's obviously a negative. Jonas is absolutely right. Is it can be compensated for? Uh, yes. I, and I would say that Bakhtiari, the tackle that got injured for Green Bay, is a much bigger loss for Green Bay than Betonio being out for a game for Cleveland. In my mind, we're straight out of Vegas talking about the Cleveland COVID battle. Now, let's let's go through for a final time here the factors. So we got the lineman; we're calling it a half a point. We got the coach and the play caller out. What do you? I mean, just give me a number on that one. One point seven five points. So, so upwards of two, almost two points, over one and a half. Yeah. And then we got how much? Is lost when there's a facility shut down. I mean, that's that's more than zero. Sure. So it strikes me that if the line goes from four to six, and you're saying you know one and a half to two points just for the coach slash play caller, half point for the lineman, something for the facility, something for the fact that the chance of someone else coming down with it is higher. Yeah, that's a great point. Unequivocally higher. So that 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 uncertainty has to be priced in. It feels like that and I'll make this statement very explicitly and we see if anyone disagrees with it. I would rather have Pittsburgh given the givens right now at a 6-point favor than Pittsburgh, given the givens three days ago, as a four-point favorite. The line's gone from four to six. I'm saying Pittsburgh's more attractive now than they were at minus four because of these factors. I don't think the line, upon reflection, has even moved enough. Disagree or agree? Strongly agree. I've got to be honest, I'm shocked that this line's holding at six. I would have thought it would have leaked up to six and a half already because I can't make a case right now for Cleveland, and I would have thought even more money would have come in on Pittsburgh today. Last thing, I'll make a slight case. I think the Browns were so nervous. They were so potentially in their own heads, which I think Jonas's point is, hey, if you got to win to get in against the backups and you're looking that bad, what's going to happen when the big boys step up? Maybe, in a way, this takes the pressure off. And I have no doubt if the Browns start poorly, it will be a likely avalanche against them. But the Browns get up 10-3, 
all of a sudden, there's going to be a sense of, hey, we're playing with house money. I would actually think the Browns have a slightly better chance to win the game, which was you know, not likely anyway. And I think Pittsburgh has a much better chance to win by 30. Like I think the extreme results, as they say in math, the fat tail, usually there's a bell curve and a certain size tail on the extremes. I think both for Pittsburgh dominating and for Cleveland winning the game outright, the odds have increased. Yeah, I agree with that, especially thinking about how the game's going to progress. If it's close or Cleveland has a small lead, no problem. Pound it to Chubb, keep it on the ground. But if Cleveland gets down 10, can't you just see Baker Mayfield getting strip-sacked, throwing a pick six, and this just getting ugly? Well, I think you'll, you'll be there to exploit it in-game. In <laughs> right out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Here we go on to the next game in which we don't know who the starting quarterback, RJ, is going to be for the L.A. Rams. Sean McVay has been noncommittal, whether it's going to be Jared Goff or John Wolford, but the Rams are at the Seahawks on Saturday. Right now, Seattle's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. You know, on Howard Stern, back in the day, Jackie the Joke Man he used to, at times, be thinking he didn't have to do his main job, and this is what he would say he would do. I had to go punch up scripts in Hollywood! <laughs> he was going to punch up scripts in Hollywood, Fez. What's your alternative? <laughs> I have none. Next game. Next game. You know, I love the under in this game. I just don't see where the points are coming from. These two teams have... So, what's the total? Total right now is 42 and a half. Alright, so under 42 and a half. I'm following. Go ahead. So, they played twice already this year. we got a backup quarterback. <laughs> so, without the with, with the starting quarterbacks, 29 points and 39 points in the two games that they played. Now we're going to have a situation where if Goff plays, he's going to be compromised with his his thumb that had to have surgery on it, or we get John Wolford. That's going to help the under. There's no doubt about it. And I love the fact Seattle has completely changed their identity. Early in the year, Seattle was throwing the ball like crazy. All these high-scoring games. Recently, last six games, Seattle's games have averaged 37 and a half points. So Seattle's gone from a high scoring team, team that plays high scoring games, to one that's playing low scoring games. Okay, I can see that. So one of the things as the season gets deep, and now we're 16 games plus, moving to plus, you can find out whose numbers on the season are not the truth of today, not indicative. So, of all the teams, I would say Seattle is in that top handful that the season stats are not are deceptive in a way because they were pure offense, one of the worst, if not worst, passing defenses in years, and now with the I always forget his name, the Bengals guy they got, the tall dude, the D lineman, Carlos uh, Dunlap. Yes, Dunlap. Thank you, and. He seems to have contributed. Uh, Jamal Adams, it feels like they're finding his role better in Seattle. And the defense has gotten better. I think some of it is the strength of schedule of the opposing offenses has been weak. But I do think unequivocally the Seattle defense has improved. Just as clearly Russell Wilson's not playing the same game he had earlier. He was legitimately the MVP leader and... I'd make the case he's not a, he hasn't been a top 10 quarterback in the second half of the year. Now, I heard just recently, and again, I'm not an X's and O's expert. I haven't coached in the NFL, 
but they're talking about how Russell Wilson was so dependent on going deep, and he throws one of the best deep balls, that the defenses have been adjusting and saying, we're taking that away, now what? And he's been struggling with it. And to me, that all feeds into the under here. In addition, in addition, the fact that McVay's done very well against Seattle. Schematically, he knows how to stop. And again, you got a rare case where you have the same quarterback, Russell Wilson, same coach, where you can say three years, we got some data on this, right? Playing twice a year. I really like the under because here's the last thing you know about McVay. He's not, he understands the kind of game that they got to play to win, either with a compromised golf or a backup quarterback. And we saw it last week. They were super conservative, punting more than he typically would. Yes. On four. And to me, that is the key here. And they had success doing that. Because that's, that, that, that is best practice. That is basic strategy. If you have a limited quarterback, you want to lower the variance. And, and let's be candid— McVeigh's trust in his ability to win a close game. And they're a road dog anyway, so they're happy with a close game. Now, I would hate to see Seattle get out to a big lead. And I would be looking, even if they got out 10 nothing. and a lot of times, and you can correct me on this because you're the in-game expert, a lot of times a team gets a big lead, the under looks good because the other team's going to struggle coming back and the team leading's going to sit, you know, take the air out of the ball. I think with the Rams, with a limited quarterback, if they're behind, there's trouble. I like the over at that point in-game if that happened, because I would think there's going to be strip sacks, there's going to be pick sixes. So I would say bet the under, and if Seattle gets up by double digits early, look to hedge back if the number's right. Obviously, on my pick, if I do make it, I'm not going to make this one official, there won't be any hedging. But it's a piece of advice. Do you agree with the advice? I do. And I got to ask you, should we just play some of our bet first half under 21 to take that out of play? No. No. And here's why. I'm actually thinking second half more because, remember, the Rams are one of the best adjusters there is. I'm going to do the analysis on this, but the Rams historically have been best in the third quarter this season. Yes. Remember, we've been talking about that. So I'm actually anxious to try to isolate that even more. And the beauty is if we do that one at halftime, whereas it's a contingency bet, we can get if there is a Seattle blowout, we don't have to make the bet. That's probably how I'll play it. You like that? I do like that. You know, one more point. DK Metcalf, who's been a tremendous wide receiver for Seattle, he's not on the injury report. He's had four straight subpar games. You gotta wonder if there's not some issue going you know, some on. Some of that's too is is he's the guy that's trying to take the top off. Yeah. And they've been stopping that. So we're in Vegas. Let's see what Jonas thinks. Do you you can talk about the game, Jonas, or if you like our under dealer's choice? Yeah, I think if I'm just looking at the Rams' approach to this game, even if Jared Goff does start the game. And I think there's I believe that Jared Goff is going to start the game. I think that's why they chose to have the surgery right after he suffered the injury because the idea was let's get him back for this game. Regardless, and you made the point, whoever it is, Goff, Wolford, they're going to be compromised at that position, which means they're going to rely to me more heavily on the run and they're going to expect their defense to make enough plays against the Seattle offense that isn't close to being as explosive as they were early in the season. That's why I also agree this could be a low-scoring affair 
there. And uh, Steve talks about the weather all the time. The other conversation here is that weather could impact the game. There could be rain. There could be cold. And that's why there's some doubt about how effective Goff will be with the injury. Jonas is having a strong show, baby. Jonas Knox. <laughs> total right now is 42 and a half. Um, with the word that Goff is more likely to play than we th- than we thought a day or two ago, the Rams did go from a plus four underdog to a three and a half point underdog. So a little bit of movement towards the Rams because of the optimism with quarterback Jared Goff. Fez, I'll be honest with you. Goff healthy versus the backup? Yeah, I'm fine. Give me the starter. Him with a hurt hand? You talked about Baker Mayfield being the type of quarterback that struggles when things aren't quite right for him. Jared Goff is that times two, I think. You know, imagine him starting to like, like, like move his hand. You know, when someone's got like a stiff hand, he's like kind of moving it, like he's like throwing a quarter down or something, and he starts massaging it. I mean, that's like your money. Just every time he massages his thumb, it's like your money going into the drain if somehow you bet the Rams. No doubt. And I do have a four point differential at 100% Goff versus John Wolford, but I think. So, what did you do with Wolford off of what you saw last week? I upgraded Wolford one point. Mm, I think it should be more than that. He, 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 he wasn't given the opportunity to excel, but he didn't do anything really. Let's just say this. You didn't have the catastrophe you think you might have with a guy. And this is a winning. This was a quarterback that's won at every level. That's, and obviously, the jump to the NFL is tough. He probably doesn't have the physical tools to be a starter. But for a limited amount of games, now there is the flip side. Once they get taped one time on a quarterback, it's tough for that second game, especially when they're physically limited, but that makes our under look better. Yeah, and the mobility, he certainly took to the ground, and I expect he'll do more of that this coming game if he plays. And this is going to sound kind of goofy in a way, but I actually like the under more with the backup because I think he'll make less mistakes than Goff will. So I get it. In theory, you would always like the under more with the backup. But I'm saying it's not because I think Goff's going to play better. I'm scared of that. I'm scared of Goff fumbling. I'm scared of Goff's pick sixes. And Goff may well say, you know, uh, muscle memory, this is a throw I can make, not realizing. Which we... throw is that? <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> but when he's got the, 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 the thumb injury, he'll think he can make it and he can't make it. I don't wish bad upon Goff. But I'm hoping here in the update we hear that he's out. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Fez, this is a scenario in which two of the recent trends apply to Tampa in their favor. So last three years in this first round of the playoffs, the road team, 10-1-1, Against the spread. 10-1-1. So, 12 games only lost once against the spread. And the ATS margin, which is how many points on average a team's winning by or losing by. So, if you have two games, one game a team wins by seven against the spread, other they lose by seven, ATS margin zero. In this case, it's over a touchdown in favor of the road team. That's the last three first rounds of the playoffs. And we talked about it yesterday. This has been a year where the road teams have almost outscored the home teams. Mm -hmm. 
Last year, amazingly, even without the COVID factor, with, with no fans, the road teams almost outscored. In the course of the two years, I, I'm going by memory, the home team has outscored the road team in the regular season by eight points. And there's been like 30,000 points scored or whatever. <laughs> so this has been historic, and it's not just COVID. It was the year before. Now we got a trend that says road teams in the first round of the playoffs, 10-1-1. That's trend one. Trend two that follows Tampa Bay play favorites since 2002 now. So since the playoffs, or let's just go to 2002, is that's not when they expanded. Nine point or greater favorites, seven and one in the first round of the playoffs. So when you have a motivated, dominant team, they tend to cover. And we've said this all year. When you bet a big dog, it's not that you love the big dog. You think the favorite might not be focused. Yes. In the playoffs, you get a focused favorite. In the first round, in the last 18 years, 7-1 and one when favored by nine points or more. Tampa game, your handicap. Yeah, the Washington offense, let's face it, hasn't been good all year long. I don't like what I saw at all from Alex Smith against the Eagles. Now, that... The performance on the scoreboard, basically Washington met expectations, but that offense, boy, Alex Smith did not look right. And this is a Philly defense that had been torched by everyone. Andy Dalton threw for over 12 yards per pass against this defense the week before. I don't see how Washington's going to score enough points to keep up with Tampa Bay. So what is Alex Smith's record as a starter? Don't have it in front of me. All right. Five, is, he started against – the first game was against the Lions – you might recall they lost by three. They put up like 30. It was like 35, 32 in that game. And now he started five other games. They're 5-0 and oh, straight up. 5-0. and oh. Now, you watched that Washington game, I'm guessing, right? The, yes. The Sunday night. What happened at the end of the game? Alex Smith, hard count, gets him off sides to run off the clock. Yes. Isn't that interesting? I get it. You'd rather have a great quarterback. But amongst a, you know, I don't know, Sam Darnold or some young gun that supposedly has talent and potential versus a hobbled, a limited Alex Smith, but with veteran savvy. Will make all the right decisions. Hmm. I mean, I, I tell you, I mean, Jonas, I'm sure you were watching every play of that game. That hard count there, it doesn't go in any score or doesn't go anywhere other than your memory. And to me, that was representative of what Alex Smith brings to the table. Yeah, he's easily been the stabilizing factor at that position. That, that position has been chaos for a long time with the Dwayne Haskins stuff. They tried to bring in Kyle Allen. He hurt his shoulder early on. He's been the best quarterback on the team. My only concern for Alex Smith is I don't think he's anywhere close to 100%. I think the calf issue is a real issue and the fact that Ron Rivera has talked about you know potentially maybe rotating quarterbacks if need be whether it be Taylor Heineke or Alex Smith in this game I just wonder how close to 100% he is on top of the already gruesome injury he came back from okay so this is where my cynicism comes in now typically you're the cynic but when it comes to being skeptical ladies and gentlemen please hold all tickets the stewards have posted the inquiry sign. So I'm going to make the following thought, Jonas. Why would Rivera mention Alex Smith's being hobbled if he was truly hobbled? Mm. 
No, I, I, I agree with it, you. It, it strikes me that mentioning, oh, we might actually have to split quarterbacks, you know, Craig Morton and Roger Starback, 76 style, I think it was. And I'll tell you this, that tells me Alex Smith is on his way to be healthy. Because why, why would you give a heads up? If anything, this is trying to put something out there to get the other team thinking about it when it's not going to be the case. I think it's a good sign for Alex Smith. What do you think, Fez? That's an interesting point. You always tell me, don't believe what these coaches are saying. I'm th- what is their motivation? Why are they saying it? And to me, there's no reason to say it if it's true. No reason to say it if it's true. We're straight out of Vegas. Real quick, Jonas, we don't have time for the full rundown. Barney at the bar, who does he like in the Tampa Bay game? Uh, he likes Tampa Bay. Yeah, he likes so Tampa fast, Bay. So, you've got a Barney parlay lined up here. <laughs> I mean, your two big picks today have been Buffalo, because they looked good last week, and Tampa, because Alex Smith is hobbled. <laughs> That's not good. Not good. 